Hello, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. Hope you're well. My guest today is Heather Corinna, described on their website as a queer feminist activist, author, educator, artist, teacher, organiser and innovator. They're the founder of Scarletine, the first truly comprehensive sex, sexuality and relationships education site and resource for young people of its kind. Welcome, Heather. So happy to have you here. I'm happy to be. So uh, you're here to uh, specifically talk about your book, What Fresh Hell Is This? Was there anything specific that prompted you to write the book or did you feel it was a natural step on from the the books that you had written before? Um, Well, it's funny. My uh, I'm ride or die for my particular editor. So I generally wait to even write a new book until she's available. I would probably write more books if she was available more often. So uh, Renee had come to me and basically said, like, I'm ready. What's your book list? And I had already, you know, a list of things that I was ready to write. And there were a whole bunch of things. And at the very, very end of that list, and I think it was just because I was having one of, you know, 90 million terrible, horrible perimenopause days, I was like, or I could write a stupid perimenopause book. And I didn't really mean it. Um, This is the story of my life, right? Like, I didn't really mean it. I just threw it out there. And, And of course, Renee immediately comes back with that. I want that. And I was like, no, right? I like, mean no, it. I was kidding. Um, and so, you know, like a lot of things that I <laughs> wind up investing a lot of time and energy in, um, I kind of didn't mean to do it. Not initially anyway. And, you know, it's funny because I... You know, despite at that that point in time, having been in perimenopause for about seven years, I um, I really I really hadn't looked at much stuff. Like I didn't I did not myself own a menopause or perimenopause book, and a lot of it is I I I made a lot of assumptions. You know, some of them were right. I assumed that none of that stuff out there would include me as a person in a lot of ways. And in that way, I was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also assumed I probably knew everything I needed to know about it. And in that way, I was, there's my dog. Uh, I was not even remotely right. I, cu- I could not have been more wrong. So, um, you know, kind of once... I got started and really, you know, the first thing you have to do when you write books is there's the giant pile of research and kind of saw what was and really more to the point, what wasn't out there. Then it got, then it got, then it was like, okay, all right. (laughs) I feel a little bit better about, about this choice and was kind of like, all right, I guess, I guess I could do this. I mean, then of course there's, you know, the pandemic, you know, the million things that kind of happen in the middle, but that's life and books. And if it's not a pandemic, it's something. And was it a sort of cathartic experience for you kind of getting all of this down on paper? You know, in some ways, sure. You know, I mean, I write, right? Like that's, that's, that's one of the things that I do as a person period to express myself and express my feelings. So yeah, that helps. I mean, and I definitely think that with there being a pandemic, it certainly helped to have something else that I had to do, right? Especially in yes. this, because 
as a lot of us know, perimenopause plus pandemic is a very particular combination. Like we're, we're a unique cohort right now, you know, like really, it's quite a cocktail. Right. There's really only very specific groups in history that will have experienced this the way that we're experiencing it in such a large group with this one thing in common, you know, but it definitely helped also to have something else to be like, nope, got to do it. Have to focus on this because I think otherwise it both would have made that particular year and change of my perimenopause and of the pandemic considerably harder for sure. Did you, um, to some of the other guests I've spoken to, you know, there was quite a period of time of them going through some particularly unpleasant symptoms where they either the kind of the penny dropped and they realized that's what it is, or they'd finally found a, a sort of a healthcare practitioner who, who kind of put the, jigsaw puzzle pieces together and told them that that's what was happening is that sort of similar for you well I'm still in it um (laughs) you know I mean so you know for me you know the figuring out that I was in it was there wasn't any aha you know it really was just there really there wasn't an aha to it it was just a number of things piling up that eventually it kind of made itself clear that this is what it was. I mean, for me, I have so many other health things going on and so many other life things going on that knowing that this is the time that it happens in, right? It's like, okay, probably that's one of the things in there, but I don't even know that for me, I, it was only, it was one of so many other big things going on that I don't even think there was kind of a like, oh, it's this thing in my life happening. It's like, oh, this is one of the things mm. in my life that's happening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, so one of the things that I took away from reading this, the book is almost like incredibly compassionate book and as well as being very inclusive and in a sort of really talking about people of all genders who might be going through this it's also you know mindful of those who might also be dealing with trauma or a disability and you're I kind of had a sense of you walking alongside the reader and acknowledging that some of this is really really sucky but I think you say early on in the book I'm not here to fix you I'm just here to try and help you through this hot mess and um and a little bit later, you say, this is a buffet, not a fixed menu. You get to try what you want, leave what you don't, mix it all up and use it however works for you, which I thought was just a great, you know, I'm not telling you exactly what to do. I'm just going to give you for the benefit of somebody who's who's kind of been walking through all of this for some time. And, and you know, hopefully some of it sticks and some of it helps. I'm so glad to hear that you felt that way. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think that it's, you know... You have to be careful. There's a lot of narratives around this from people who will have finished and they'll say that, you know, that at some point it was fine and they got through it because they found this one thing. And really what I'll say to this is that for most people, if, if you, if you really only needed one thing and then all of a sudden you were a superhero, you were great, probably it really wasn't about that one thing. Probably it was about that this was relatively pretty easy for you. And probably that's because you, you came to it and are already in it from a place of privilege, right? Like the people for whom this is absolutely the hardest usually have 
multiple forms of marginalization, right? Whether than it's somebody that's already sick, it's somebody that's already dealing with one or more kinds of systematic oppression. It's somebody without access to healthcare. Like, you know, when you hear a lot of people say, make it like, well, once I got HRT, that was it. And, but they, that story often doesn't involve somebody who's having a hard time getting healthcare, for instance, right? Like that's usually not part of the story. Um, and so I think that, you know, too, we have to be, we have to be really careful when we recognize that there's, for most people, there's never going to be one thing like, and, the, and, and for a lot of people, it's not going to be like, you had this difficult thing and then this turned you into a hero. For a lot of people, it's going to be anywhere from fair to middling to really, really hard. And ideally, people are going to get through it and they're going to be okay. <laughs> right? Like, they're not going to be amazing, but they're going to be okay. And that's like, that's good. <laughs> yeah. and it, it, there's another part where you... Yeah. So the, the remains, as has always existed in the colonized West and under patriarchy at large, social, cultural and even medical pressure to have a good, in inverted commas, menopause. And uh, that, again, that kind of really resonated. It's like, you know, you're if you're not doing all of the, the healthy stuff and the exercise and, you know, you you right. get what you deserve. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And that and that dismisses, you know, one, that so much of the menopause that we have are about Every, you know, everything leading up to that menopause, much of which was out of our hands, our genetics for one, which we can't, <laughs> we could never do anything about from the minute that we had them. And then our life histories, which even if we could have done things about parts of them, then we can't buy now. Right? <laughs> That's done. But also our life circumstances. Again, do we have access to health care at the time when people are talking about eating healthy foods. Well, what's our access to healthy food? Do we live somewhere where we can get healthy food or do we live in a food desert? Or, you know, I just, I read somebody saying something and people will talk this way too. And it's really, uh, it's really disturbing where they'll say that, you know, of course women, and it's always women when they use this language, which is unsurprising, who are, you know, loved in loving relationships will do better. And it's really a hurtful thing to say, right? Because of course, it is in fact true that women who are not cared for and loved will not do as well. But that's like, that's not <laughs> why I'm unlovable. Just <laughs> right, absolutely. I'm like, that's, that's a, that's a terrible circumstance of other women's lives. It's not their fault that, <laughs> that they're unloved. So yeah, like it, it is one of these things where we have to, again, everybody kind of needs to, to check their privilege a little bit, I think, in this and remember too that, yeah, if people are having, if people aren't having a good time of it, I do think there's a lot of silencing that happens, right? That you're not, if you complain about it, you're a whiner. Mm -hmm. And again, I think for one, it's no coincidence that the people that would most often be complaining are often the most marginalized. No one ever wants to hear the most marginalized people complaining about anything, but also too, that those people are often women. <laughs> it's another thing. People don't want to hear women complaining. There's another part where you're talking about the sort of that radical self-care and it shouldn't be radical to suggest we should all be cared for as much as we're caring for others suddenly this is a time of life where you know we we do need to be centered and cared for and almost kind of cosseted and we spend so much time doing that for other people and sometimes that isn't reciprocated when we 
we need it most. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and there's another part where you're talking about radical self-care again, and again, sort of putting on our own oxygen mask first, centering our needs um, as being... I mean, essentially the sort of the, the crux of getting through this and, and prioritizing ourselves. It's not always easy. <laughs> no, no, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not always easy. It's not always easy because often we don't learn to, right? And then to get here and just be learning is late. <laughs> well, it, it feels alien, right? It's the whole kind of thing of, oh, do I, do I sit? And rest. Have I earned that rest? Have yeah. I, you know, is it like a reward for having Absolutely. ticked off all the things? And it's it's so ingrained, isn't it, that you know you don't get to rest until the laundry is folded or yeah. you know the the plates have been put away or or whatever. Not just I'm going to rest now. Yeah, I had that. I mean, I think it wasn't until I was about forty that I even started to get over that I don't need to do things to merely deserve to exist, let alone to get to the point where I don't need to do things in order to be allowed to stop doing things, right? <laughs> but yeah. It's just kind of a hard habit to unlearn. Well, and then especially if then too, how what are the people around you doing? Are the people around you helping you break that habit by saying, hey, of course you deserve to, to go rest. Let us go do this thing. You go take a nap or you go take two days off or you go not do this. Or are the people around you, unfortunately, not helping you? And are they asking you still for all of the things? Or you go to take a nap and, you know, five minutes later, <laughs> somebody is yelling for you because, you know, of real or learned helplessness there's you know you talk also uh in the book about uh about rage and actually how uh you know you, you don't like that sort of the connotations of that you know maybe it is righteous righteous anger we suddenly realize what we've been putting up with for so long and think no more yeah rages the way that people say that term rages sometimes sounds a little patronizing it was Soraya Shamali that I really wanted to talk to uh in the book to talk to about anger because she has such amazing things to say about anger and specifically about women and gender diverse people and and anger and one of the things that Soraya you know was talking about was just about and this is really relevant I think too to how we feel in menopause and perimenopause about how much illness is associated with repressed anger right and how sick that makes us and especially when we're talking about what we can do to make ourselves feel better during menopause and perimenopause and you know all the medications in the world don't help with that stuff, right? If it's our feelings that are actually part of what's making us sick, there's nothing, we can't take medicine to, to do that. You know, even psychiatric medicines don't really do that. We have to, we have to feel our feelings um, in order to do that. So work like hers is really relevant here. Yeah. There's another point where you talk about between the cultural joke made of menopausal mood issues, the mental health stigma that permeates our culture, the fear of being pronounced the current version of hysterical and how raw and vulnerable all of this can already make us feel. Not to mention how many of us are so focused on the moods of others, we barely check in with our own, any expectation 
we're all going to stand up and raise our hand with this seems preposterous. Yeah. We're all keeping a lid on it, trying to kind of make everyone else's lives cozy and convenient and and maybe not dealing with like you, you kind of talking about having to feel all these feelings and sometimes it's the first point for many where it's just kind of get to that pressure cooker or you talk about tornado you know the tornado sometimes you're the tornado sometimes <laughs> you're the one the tornado drops the house on which just yeah no well and uh, you know again especially too if you know if the if the way that our lives are set up are that your workplace is such that you can't express your feelings at your workplace, even when they're fairly benign, right? Like even when the dials turn down a little bit and your relationships are such that you can't, you can't express your feelings, then yeah, everything is getting bottled and and bottled and bottled. And they're either going to explode eventually, or they're going to implode. Eventually, you know, the idea that they will only ever explode is not correct, right? They basically can kind of break us apart inside our bodies and our minds. And really, I think, you know, that's the thing where, you know, we see it's so much of what can kind of happen around adolescence can and in a lot of menopause and suicidality is another really big one. And I think that that's, that's where we really kind of have to worry about that thing with our feelings where it's really important for us to find places to express them. And again, we can't, this is probably not going to be one of those things where if we just go to a GP and we talk about the things that are going on, our GP, if we can even get a GP to have a serious <laughs> They just want to hustle us out with serious conversation about any of this. The last thing we can probably expect is them to be like, but do you have somewhere where you're talking about and expressing your feelings? That's probably not going to happen. Should, but it probably won't. It's an interesting thinking about the sort of the parallels between adolescence, because obviously, you know, in your the work that you do for Scarletine, you you know, you have a huge amount of experience of answering queries that come from teens and sort of thinking about how they're processing this in kind of incredibly complex and difficult period of life there just there doesn't really seem to be an equivalent for this this mirror stage if you like where you know maybe you if you're lucky you've got a kind of a small pocket of good friends that you can be real with about what's going on but so much of kind of that processing and kind of angsting seems to go on behind closed doors and and people are dealing with it very often on their own and kind of just doing that well I'll just soldier on one more year or you know it'll be over soon sure well and then also you know the it's a little bit different because at the at the end of adolescence it lies this cultural reward right like of adulthood Hmm. right so at least the kind of clock watching the emotional clock watching that you're doing is like that you're towards liberty and freedom. Now, the same may very well be true with menopause, right? And for and for a lot of people, it very clearly is true, but that's not the cultural message, right? So a lot of people are not going through this with their eye on that prize because that is that is simply not, that's not out there in the way and at anywhere near the level that it is with adolescents, right? Where everybody knows that at the end of adolescence is your rights and your liberties and whole new life and your whole world is ahead of, you know, all the things that everybody thinks about that. There's not 
that way of thinking about yeah, not now. Like, I mean, you're not, you're no, not useful anymore. You're not. You're not like fertile. Said, you're <laughs> everybody likes to piss on Gen Xers, and it's just it's it's everyone's popular pastime. But quite frankly, I think we're really revolutionary, inventive thinkers, and I think that the likelihood of us changing it so that more people do start to view it that way is pretty good. We're not just in the book talking about perimenopause and menopause itself, but the sort of almost like the process of aging and how the sort of the society that we living in reflects that process back on us and how, you know, how difficult it, it can be for people who, as you say, in that sort of society where you know, there's a lot of, lot of money tied up in looking good, looking young, you know, that's a huge industry potentially built on kind of you know making us feel crappy about Mm -hmm. (laughs) about getting going through this perfectly natural process right yeah you have I mean and again it's you know it's tricky because right now just feels like a time where if you know this is my experience anyway is that my my resilience to most things is not great you know (laughs) just really across the board my emotional resilience is not great like I have to do a lot of like I had to pump myself up a lot you know and kind of be like build up my armor because it's soft in this you know like it's it's I'm very I'm very vulnerable through this probably because you know everything's changing all the time and so it's kind of hard to stay balanced I think yeah, I think that that's the other thing is it is, I think for a lot of people, it's definitely a really, it's a, it's a more vulnerable time. And so certainly with things like marketing, we have to, we have to be aware of that just to know that we're, we're vulnerable in it. I mean, and, and there's a, you know, I mean, there's some easy ways to help each other with that. You know, we can validate each other so that we're a little less inclined to go feeling like we need so much external validation. I mean, I think that that's one of the ways that community support can be such a good thing is that we can validate each other so that we're not looking to, you know, capitalism, basically, to validate us. We're certainly, uh, we're being bombarded (laughs) everywhere we look. It's kind of, yeah, it's hard to move away from that and thinking about the value in ourselves as opposed to the, the value that, you know, whatever image it is that we're projecting out there. Yeah. It's, you know, in my first half of this, I was living, I'm back here in Chicago and I'm from here, but I hadn't lived here for about 20 years. And for about eight years, I lived in a very rural place and my neighborhood walk was like in a thick forest. And so, you know, the first kind of half of my Perry was, that was my daily walk forest. Now my daily walk is billboards. And even then it's very interesting, right? Like I was not taking in any of kind of commercial images like that in a, it could be days and days and days on end, you know, pretty easily, especially if I was careful about my media online. Whereas right now, if I walk out my door, like, you know, there's a wall that is you can't avoid it. different things every day. So it is, um, it's interesting to, it's a different experience. You talk as well about when we were talking about the tornado coming out the other side of the tornado and another lovely quote that I like. They say, when I look at people's menopausal or midlife stories of tossing away old careers to start something new, having passionate affairs, making big moves, delivering giant my way or the highway proclamations, forging communities and reviving lost dreams, I rarely see 
what looks like some kind of big mistake. I see what more often looks like courage, wisdom, and self-trust. And I guess it is that learning to listen to what it is that, that's inside that we want to, what do we want to do with, <laughs> with the time that we've got left? How do we actually kind of truly listen to that? Yeah, I think that when people do things like this around now, it's it's often represented as them blowing up their life or as a midlife crisis. And I'm, uh, it makes me sad, like, you know, maybe, <laughs> right? Sometimes people do stupid things and I, I suppose that it's probably hard to see somebody's shiny red sports car or their affair as necessarily revolutionary and who's to say which one is and which one isn't. But I also think that you can see, I mean, you can see with a lot of the, the things that people do right now that something made them feel braver, right? Like something just made them feel braver or something made them feel like they could let go of whatever it was that was keeping them tethered to something that wasn't making them happy, whether that was respectability, right? <laughs> whether that was some particular kind of security or stability, whatever it is. But a lot of what I, a lot of what I see that, you know, has kind of ostensibly been called blowing things up kind of looks a lot more like being like, oh, fuck this, right? <laughs> this is, that's no good. I'm going to go, I'm going to go towards the good thing. And I think the flip side is if you, you know, if you don't make some seismic life change it's not necessarily that you've <laughs> you've somehow failed menopause 101 right you can come out the other side and just be oh, okay you know I've I've ridden kind of those great tidal waves and and kind of come out the other side and and maybe I'm just a kind of a more chilled out or a, a more centered version of <laughs> whoever I was at the beginning of it absolutely well I think you know I think that is the other thing too like it's really easy to somehow get the impression or to want to like universalize a story to simplify this right but of course you know mm -hmm. it happens to billions of people you know billions of people with then exponentially different life histories and there's of course a million you know there's so many stories there's that many different stories and really we're only hearing one tiny proportion of those stories as well right we're not hearing about the menopause experiences of somebody in a remote tribe somewhere or or you know in a slum in Delhi or absolutely absolutely well and like, even when you kind of look at the menopausal canyon you know when I was even doing research for all of this the last time that I could find a book that was written by and for specifically for black women in menopause and published here was 2008 wow you know so yeah it's a very undiverse absolutely canon. I mean like you know just like that I mean I'm like I want to be like hello publishers you should hear what I said <laughs> I mean you um, have you have a whole chapter at the end of the book written by sort of guest written by somebody who who is talking about the sort of the experience of trans women for example right. I mean is that as far as you know is is that the first I yeah time I think that that has been I believe that yeah I believe that it is that's Joanne Mason so she wrote an appendix um, on a, a trans feminine kind mm -hmm. of parallel to men. I mean, sometimes it really depends on what women would want to call it. If you want to call it menopause, it's a way to experience menopause. It's certainly a radical estrogen change that can happen. But yeah, I think that's I think that's the first time. It's the only incident I could find, basically anywhere I wanted to make sure that I had it. You know, my practice when I was 
writing the book was that historically, of course, so much of what's been said and written about in menopause was done by people who this can't even happen to. So I didn't want to write that section of the book. I didn't want to basically perpetuate that thing by being another person writing about something that just couldn't even possibly happen to my body. There was a whole chapter there where you're where you're looking at the kind of historical uh, writings, which which yeah, is fascinating. There were a lot of thumps against the wall during. I mean, it, it kind of comes to something, isn't it? Where you're like, well, at least they're not burning us anymore or throwing us into Yay! the lunatic yeah. asylum. Woo! <laughs> Progress. <laughs> Only another couple of hundred years, and <laughs> yeah, although, you know, I'm like certain really, really, really bad days of perimenopause. I look back and I think, well, does opium and bloodletting really sound that bad? Because today, maybe <laughs> I, w- I would go there. Bloodletting <laughs> would be just the thing. <laughs> Sometimes the sort of the thought of being the 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 woman on the outskirts of the village and the you know, people like, well, don't go there. It's quite appealing. Right? <laughs> don't mess with her. Time alone. It gets you time alone. A room of one's own. In fact, it, I think you talk about it in the book. Yeah. But yeah, just that whole fantasy of having that space. It's just mine. For me, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I I am actually, I mean, because our, our living situation has gotten very complicated, we've currently been living in 800 square feet with four of us, including two teenagers, and that is not... A pressure cooker. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and also, like, we're in the city, so we don't even have a yard. I mean, like, there's, that's it. Like, that's, and it's open layout, so it's, it's just not workable, and so I... I am solving, and I have to work at home, I am solving this by moving out on my own. And while I don't particularly like the situation that it is that way, like actually, I prefer living alone, but I like living with my partner. Yeah, I'm actually really excited <laughs> to be living alone again. Like really. Some, like, I think sometimes about these, uh, I think there was, a, was it Margaret Drabble who used to have a house next door to her husband and they oh, knocked that's the, a like, door that's the dream. Anita Hill and, and her partner have lived separately for forever too, just proving how awesome she is time and time again. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that, I mean, if that's you could dream. have that, that, <laughs> that absolutely, that's, that's perfect that's or maybe like down the block even next door feels a little too close but yeah I'm almost more excited about living by myself again than I am about the book coming out I have to keep reminding myself that I'm like oh no wait you have a book coming out because I'm like oh I'm moving (laughs) that's actually a week later than that so yeah and so and some of it's just this it's just uh, you know if you like if I could the idea of like going, I go off, I go back to live in the forest. I have a nice little cave. I just get to like cave my way through this. That sounds perfect. Go into the wilderness and come back. Wonderful. Re- reborn. Maybe I come back. Maybe I just, I don't know. I- <laughs> yeah, it's quite nice. <laughs> Peace and quiet. Well, I mean, as I say, there were so many parts of the book where I was kind of enthusiastically nodding along and thinking, you know, I'll cut and paste this. This is this is gold dust. So I would absolutely encourage everybody to to go out and get a copy. Yeah, I just think it's it's incredibly comprehensive. It's clearly very, very well researched. I 
I really do think it's a fantastic book. And thank you very much for coming to talk to us today. Thank you. Thank you for complimenting. <laughs> Taking compliments is, I don't know. That's that that is one I'm thing I still haven't learned how to do. I've stopped being like, are you high? Which is really rude when people compliment you. <laughs> I at least usually say thank you now instead of what's wrong with you. Yeah. Thank, to- thank you and go bright red is normally my <laughs> modus operandi. But um Thank you so much. Uh, oh, it's my pleasure. It's really nice to talk to you, Emma. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when yeah. our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider yeah. leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.